Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Well, I remember as a kid, uh, I had a fascination with heaven. Anybody else? You just have a fascination. It's kind of like, man, if I just hit pause for a second and start thinking, like, what, what does life after life on earth look like? What, what, what does that entail? What does it look like? I was fascinated. So I remember I was in the car with my dad. We were driving somewhere. My dad was a pastor, and so I went, it makes sense to ask him. So I said, Dad, what, what is heaven like? What does it look like? And so, you know, I'm like seven years old. And so he's trying to cater this and craft this like in the way that a seven-year-old can understand it. And so I'm listening and he goes, okay, David, I want you to picture like the best thing in your mind. Like what, what is the absolute best thing? Like dream reality, what, what, what is the best thing? And I'm simple. I'm a simple guy. I, uh, you know that if you know me, I'm very simple. So I, I think of this, I, I'm like, dude, I'm a kid. Just give me a quad and some mud. Like, this just seems like heaven to do that all day, never ending. I never run out of gas. I never get tired. The wheels never fall off. Like, this, this is my version of heaven. And so my dad asks me, he goes, okay, do you have a picture in your mind of, like, what heaven is? And I'm, I'm smiling, of course. I'm like, heck, yeah, I do. It's awesome. And he says, okay, I want you to imagine this. Heaven is, like, 100 times better than that. I was like, 100 times better than that? I pictured this. I'm like, come on, give me some four by four. <laughs> Give me some windows so I don't have to get all muddy. I'm like, this is perfect. This is awesome. My vision of heaven is just great. Like this, I can't wait for heaven. And needless to say, I was wrong, right? I'm a little off base. I didn't quite capture it. But but there's a a heart there. There's a truth there that, that often our vision of heaven or our vision of a future restored reality is not actually the vision that God has for it. it. It's actually, if we're really honest, probably just a better version of whatever we're experiencing right now. Most of us, we, we have a hard time picturing something that is totally different than what we're experiencing already. So I, I want to do this. Just if you're watching online, if you're listening later, if you're here in the room, I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to picture heaven. What do you see? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Maybe there's golden roads. Maybe the sun is shining. Maybe you're on a beach or you're tucked deep into the woods. Maybe it's this all-out worship concert. Maybe there's animals. Maybe there's no animals. It's probably beautiful. Maybe you're surrounded by people or maybe some of you, especially the introverts, you're all alone. Maybe you can picture Jesus' face. Go ahead and open your eyes. The problem that so many of us have without realizing it is this, our vision of heaven is tainted by a desire for a better version of brokenness. So as you sat there and as you pictured heaven, as you pictured the ideal reality, chances are whatever you pictured is a better version of what you experience right now. So here's here's an example. If you're sick, you might picture a world without sickness. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, you would picture a world that is cancer-free. 
If you have a house, maybe it's a bigger house. If you have relatives who have died or passed away, maybe, maybe you pictured them with you in heaven. If your body is deteriorating, if it's falling apart, if there's brokenness, if there's pain, if there's fear, if there's doubt, chances are the version of heaven that you pictured is opposite of those. What we can't help is our perception of reality and our vision of the future reality that God is inviting us to step into is always going to be tainted by what we're already currently experiencing. So let me give this as an example too. What do you think heaven looks like for people in other parts of the world today? What does heaven look like if you live in Ukraine? What does heaven look like if you live in Russia or China or Zambia or Afghanistan? What, what does heaven look like if you live in different parts or different areas or come from different backgrounds? Chances are that skews all of our perspective as to what we think it's going to be. Is it possible that our vision of heaven is built around us and our lifestyle rather than the perfected design that God had from the very beginning? So the series that we're in, we're wrapping it up starting next week, like next week will be the pinnacle uh, of the entire series. It's had four different movements. And so the series called Pursued, it started with this one. It was creation. God created the world. He created everything that was good and right and holy and perfect and aligned. Everything was good. Creation was perfect, right? 100%, no blemish, no flaw, no error. But then sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, the conversation with the serpent and the serpent that lies and twists and contorts. So Adam and Eve made a decision that affected all of us, but all of us would have made the exact same decision. Some of us faster, some of us slower, but we all would have arrived at the same destination. And that resulted in enmity or distance or brokenness between us and God, us and other people, us and the world. The earth had a curse. That's why, that's why we have weeds. That's why we have mosquitoes. That's why we have, we have things that are just wrong and broken and bad, right? This is, this is the fall, but the fall, then Jesus says, I, I, can, I can redeem that. So that which was broken, I can actually fix it. So that's the cross. The cross leads to the redemption piece. But the, the final movement that we're in now is the restoration. What God says and what God promises his people is I'm actually going to restore it. Jesus redeemed it. He did that on the cross. We celebrate that this week. But there's also a restoration that is coming where it takes us back to the reality that once was. This is the invitation that God has for us. I'm restoring things in front of you. So as you know, Palm Sunday uh, happened about 2,000 years ago, and it's what we celebrate today. On Palm Sunday in 30 AD, Jesus got on a donkey. He rode his donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and the people all around him were so excited because picture this. It's a Jewish city, but it's occupied by Rome. There's a Roman government. They have rule, etc. But the Jews, if you're a Jew, you have heard of this person named Jesus. Jesus is traveling around, he's preaching and he's teaching, he's healing people, he's casting out demons. He stirs up the pot, he changes the momentum, he changes the power structure. He can't be stopped and he's developed this huge following. So the people, the Jewish people who have a history and a lineage and a culture of being subjected, of being ruled, of being controlled and extorted and manipulated, the people who have that experience and that history hear of the person of Jesus and they think what? He's gonna fix it. 
He's gonna fix it. Does that, are they thinking like he's gonna eradicate it? No, they're thinking he's going to flip it. If you're a Jew, you're sick of being owned. You're sick of being taxed to the point that you can't do anything. You're, you're sick of the, the social hierarchy of which you will always be at the bottom. You're sick of the power that is used always against you. You're sick of these things. So when Jesus comes in and he heads into the city, the people have a different idea of reality and a different idea of restoration than Jesus actually had for them. It was different. They weren't congruent. So let's read this together. Matthew 21, verse six. It says this, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches, palm branches. This is why we call it Palm Sunday. Palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city. So there's a group of people that recognize that, oh, this is Jesus. This is who he is. He's coming. He's talked about a kingdom. I've heard him talk about a kingdom. Maybe he's our savior. Maybe he's the guy. He's the one that's gonna flip it. He's the one that's gonna turn things on its head. He's the one that's going to establish power and put the Jews on top. We'll finally be in charge. The Romans will come to us for what they want. They'll come to us for what they need. We will have authority. We will have rule. We will be in power. We will be at the top of our class. That is what they thought. So the whole city got stirred. The whole city got riled up. And they asked, who is this? And the crowd answered. So there's a group of people that doesn't know who he is and a group of people that does. And they're saying, he's our guy. He's the one that's gonna fix it. He's the one that's gonna change it. He's the one that's gonna undo it. And here's the thing, when Jesus came in on a donkey, only a king would enter his city that way. So it was clear as day, Jesus was establishing that he was a king. And as he made his way into the city, the people, the people mistook his intentions. We'll call this Old Jerusalem. So as Jesus came in to old Jerusalem, you can tell there'll be a new Jerusalem in a second. As Jesus came into old Jerusalem, it was a a city that all of us are familiar with. And here's what I mean. Here's what reigns or here's how things occur or function in old Jerusalem, just like they do today. There is brokenness everywhere. There is brokenness everywhere. The poor are marginalized and people are in abject poverty. Races are segregated, inequalities abound. People struggle with a variety of diseases and illnesses and cancers and deformities. There is abuse and pain. There's weeping and malnutrition. There's orphans and widows and rape. There are fences and gates. There's locks and doors, keys and restricted areas. There's a military force that upholds the law that governs the people. And every day the sun sets and darkness covers the land. And everybody is aware of it. Everybody sees the darkness. Everybody feels the darkness. Everybody is aware of the darkness, both external and internal. The people in old Jerusalem were so excited that Jesus was entering their city because he wanted, they wanted him to change 
the darkness for them. They ask the same question that we ask our leaders, our politicians, our CEOs, our bosses, people who have authority or power over us. What they were going to ask of Jesus is this, how will you fix the brokenness in our land? How will you fix it? We do this every two years. This year's one of them, right? We got elections coming up. We're asking the exact same question, but the problem is most of us aren't expecting, in fact, all of us are not expecting any politician, any leader, any CEO, anybody to eradicate brokenness. We've settled for them to make it better. So how will you make it better for me? How will you make it better for my life? How will you make it better for my family and my desires and my dream? How will you fix the brokenness in me? That is what we ask of so many people. That's what the Jewish people asked of Jesus. And so we've learned to settle for this. But here's the big statement. If you're taking notes, if you're gonna write anything down, if you're gonna remember, remember this statement. And it goes like this. God's restoration of the world will not be a better version of brokenness. It will not be a better version of what you've already experienced. It will not be a better version of pain or a better version of of divorce or a better version of fill in the blank. It's not going to be a better version. What it's going to be is the perfect world that we've always longed for. God's not looking to make brokenness better. He's looking to eliminate brokenness. And he wants to do it on a macro level on a micro level, on a personal level. But the people couldn't see it. It was different than the reality that they had grown accustomed to. So I'll be super honest with you. This is such a hard concept for me to wrestle with, particularly right now, particularly this week. I mean, all week, even last night, I was sitting on my desk, uh, and I'm, I'm sitting there trying to, like, God, we're talking about heaven, we're talking about future reality, we're talking about restoration. That seems so far away from my current reality. That seems so far away from our world's current reality. Like, I'll show you some pictures. What's going on in Ukraine right now and Russia? This just affects me. It hurts. Like, I can't help but look at these pictures and then picture my kids. Every scene that there's bombing or explosions or missiles and I see strollers, it does something inside of me. 4.5 million people have fled their own country. They've left their homes. Many of them have absolutely nothing. Four and a half million, six and a half million have been totally displaced. There's moms giving birth in train stations. Heaven seems so far away from this reality. What about this one? This is China. In China, if you remember, it was just a week ago or a week and a half, something like that, a plane that had crashed for no apparent reason. They they haven't figured it out yet. They haven't released anything. But but 130 people, 132 people were on board uh, a Boeing airplane flying somewhere with some of the best pilots that they had. It was a seven-year-old airplane. And there's a video of it turning into a nosedive and crashing straight in. And this is the cleanup crew in China. How do you not just picture a family member or children that are aboard that? Heaven seems so far away from that reality. What about this one? This is uh, North Korea. This is like the demilitarized zone, right? In North Korea, I, I just heard this woman that was speaking 
this last week and she was talking about her experience fleeing North Korea. I forget about North Korea most of the day. Most of my weeks, most of my, I, I don't, North Korea isn't a thought. She thinks about it every single day because she grew up there, she lived there, she fled and she got out. And what she said is there's only 200 and some women that have ever fled North Korea and made it all the way to the United States. Most of them flee. If they can get out without getting shot or killed, they make it to China where they're sold into sex slavery and that's where they'll remain for the rest of their days. Or they get shipped back to North Korea where they'll die in a prison camp. Heaven seems so far away from that reality. It just affects me. And so I'm taking in news, I'm taking in content like this going, God, it's hard for me to get here when this is all we see. That's just like the Jewish people when Jesus came in on a donkey into Jerusalem. It was old Jerusalem. It's old Jerusalem where that's just normal. That's the standard. That's the default. I mean, if you want to get really personal, here's some things in my life, right? This one's dumb compared to all the other ones, but like I've always had asthma as a kid. Every time I wheeze, I'm reminded of my own limitation, of my own challenge, of my own, like, and there's shame that gets attached to it, right? Especially as a kid, when you can't compete or you can't do what other, it's like, oh man, asthma, there, there's my regular reminder or, or this, uh, family brokenness. You ever just come to the conclusion that things are never going to get better in your family? Whatever brokenness, whatever pain, whatever distance, or you ever just come to the conclusion like, yeah, but it's kind of just the way it is. Like that just, heaven seems too far away to change anything for my family. Or this last one, this is just a reminder recent, our dog's getting older. You ever, you ever just watch an animal that you love or care about? Like I, I love our dog. I wish our dog loved me. Our dog loves Shannon. Holy smokes. Shannon, I mean, Shannon could do anything to her and she'd be like, I'll, I'll still love you forever. I look at her wrong and like, I'm in the doghouse. It's like, I'm sleeping in your bed, you can sleep downstairs. That's like our relationship. But I, I'm, watching, I'm watching her and like, she's starting to limp. She's starting to gray out. Arthritis is starting to set in. You, you see what I'm saying? Like so often in old Jerusalem, in our world, death and decay and brokenness and pain and fear and damage, it is normal. It's just normal. And so our temptation is to, to desire just a better version of brokenness rather than the restored reality that Jesus came to provide. What is it for you? What's the thing you think of? What's the thing that, that you hold on to? What's the thing that you're like, dude, this is, this is my barrier. I can't think about heaven. I can't think about a future reality when this is my current reality. Doesn't it make you wonder what Jesus saw as he entered into his city? As he looks at people and as he looks at faces and he sees people bathing in the street and he sees the hungry and he sees the orphan and the malnourished. And don't you wonder what Jesus saw? I can't help but think he's looking at his people. He's looking at his children and he's thinking in my mind, I will restore this. I'm not just going to redeem it, which he does, but I'm actually going to restore it, which he will do. What an incredible posture. So because of that, he actually gives us a picture, something to look forward to, something to hope for, something to remind us that Jesus' work is not done. He's carrying us to completion. So he gives John, the apostle John, this vision of the new Jerusalem, 
of the new heaven that will come down to earth. Jesus said over and over and over to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's near. It's near. And he gives us this depiction, Revelation 21, verse 9. It says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Enter new Jerusalem. Here's the new version, the new city, the restored version, the restored world that people have longed for since creation. Here is the picture, the new Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It's juxtaposing the darkness, the decay, the brokenness, the filth that so many of us have become accustomed to. He's saying, look at this. It's beautiful. It's immaculate. It's radiating. It's gorgeous. Let's keep going. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's now connecting what I'm doing in the future is also what I'm doing right now. The 12 tribes of Israel. We're we're, we're hitting past. We're hitting present. We're hitting future. Cody did this last week, did an amazing job. Jesus is connecting all of those together to say, look at where we are going. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. If you keep reading this, you'll see numbers and calculations that reiterate. Numbers were important to Jews, especially like in this time, in this writing. So like the number 12 or the number 3, like they were significant, and they always signified completeness. So over and over and over, you will see this city is perfect. It's complete. It's whole. It lacks nothing. It's beautiful. It's majestic. It's pure. It's right. I love even as it talks about the 12 tribes, right? Here's the picture of heaven. There will not be ethnic separations. They'll all be together. Because Jesus' church is one church, where we all come together as equals, where we all worship together. I I love this. Every country, people group, race, skin tone, language, dialect, and culture, all coming together as one. Here's the picture of the new Jerusalem. Here's the picture of the new city where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more cancer, no more asthma, no more deformities, no more death. That's the new picture, the new Jerusalem that Jesus is going to to bring. Let's finish it up. Revelation 21, verse 21. It says this, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Like imagine, we don't have a need for this because the whole city, the whole creation, the whole world focuses and revolves on Jesus at the epicenter. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Jesus is so mighty, so powerful, so glorious, so beautiful. He is the light for the entire world. That's the new Jerusalem, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Don't 
picture just physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. There, there is no night. There's no need to close a gate. There's no need to lock it. There's, there's no need to fear because it's been eradicated. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus is on his donkey and he's riding into the city and the image he sees is the same image that you and I have become accustomed to. It's a city known as Old Jerusalem or a world known as Old Jerusalem where darkness prevails, where sickness wins the day, when death eventually triumphs, where, where brokenness continues layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. As Jesus comes into the city, what he brings with him is not judgment, not condemnation, not frustration, not anger, not bitterness. He doesn't come in going, I'm just gonna teach them or I'm gonna drive it. He doesn't come with vengeance. What he comes with is with love. He comes with power that comes straight from his heavenly father full of mercy, which is why we just sang that song, full of grace, full of patience. The new kingdom that he's ushering in is so different and so foreign to old Jerusalem, they don't even recognize it when it's right in front of them. And as he looks at the faces and as he looks at the names, you can imagine him saying, I see you. I hear you. I feel you, I'm doing something about it. And it gives us hope for a future reality, for a future reality that is also being ushered in today. Jesus said over and over to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's like right in front of you. If all you gotta do is change your perspective, change the lens, Look through my lens. See the world as I see the world. This is not one that's just going to be destroyed. It's one that's going to be restored. <clears throat> the road that people wanted Jesus to take led to an earthly throne room full of legal power or political power that was focused on a temporary change in reality. But the road that Jesus took and the road that Jesus was going to take since the fall was the opposite. It was focused on an eternal reality, focused on one that would change things forever, that would restore them back to the way that they were. And it was driven by his obedience to the cross. We can't fix our world, but Jesus can. So as many of you know, a lot of times I come in uh, on Saturday nights, Brian and I do this together. We come in on Saturday nights and we just pray. We pray for you, we pray for the service, we pray for God to just continue working in our church. We pray for the staff, we pray for families. Uh, if he and I are both here, we pray for each other. Uh, but last night it was just me. And so I, I came in and Robert, our tech director who can do everything, he's just amazing. Um, but like our lights are having issues. So you, you would never even know today, but like he, he makes everything work. And so he texted me last night and he goes, hey, lights are being funky, might not be able to get it to work. And so I said, okay, no problem. So I came in and sure enough, the lights were off. I hit the light switch, nothing happened. I can't change stuff like he can. So I just kind of accepted it. 
And uh, I go over there and I sit at the computer, I turn on some, some music, and I'm just thinking to myself like, okay, well, I guess prayer's not happening tonight, not in this room, because I can't see anything. And so I sit at the computer, I finish up what I'm doing, and I'm like, maybe, maybe I'll just like circle around the tech booth. There was just one, there's a little light on in the tech booth. I'll just circle around the tech booth. So it's funny, as soon as I stepped out of there, I started walking around the tech booth, uh, and, and I was just praying. I could hear the music from the computer, just praying. But I started thinking like, this is, this is kind of how our world feels like to me. This is really dark. It's really broken. It's really painful. A lot of times it seems very hopeless. And so as I'm walking around and I see it, it's just dark. I, I realize that I can actually get farther and farther and farther away from the tech booth because my eyes are adjusting. And what I didn't see when I walked in, but I saw as my eyes started changing and adjusting was all the little pockets of light that actually existed that I was totally unaware of. I start seeing all these little night lights plugged in throughout the building. I start seeing lights flash from these lights. There's little red blinking lights. I start seeing those. I start seeing light break in. I see the emergency signs, the exit signs. I start seeing all these different pockets of light that I did not see for the first 20 or 30 minutes that I was in here. And what's funny is I kept getting farther and farther and farther away from the concentrated light source in the middle, but I could see. I, I kept being able to see. I felt like God was, was showing me, inviting me, just like he is all of us, that if we change our perspective, we can actually see the light that is shining in the darkness. Because it is dark right now. It's dark in our world. It's dark in our country. It, it's dark in governments. It's dark in politics. It's dark in businesses. It's dark in families. It's dark in our own hearts, which is why we so desperately need a savior who is light. It's dark. But as we change our perspective, we start seeing there's light shining over here. There's, there's so many Christian organizations that are working on the front lines in Ukraine right now. The underground church in, in China right now is 80 million strong. That's the low estimate. As high as 200 million. People who have lost loved ones here, our grief share has the fullest class right now than it has in five and a half years that I've been here. People who are doing church and doing life and comforting one another, doing it. There's pockets of light that are happening all over the place. And the good news that I have to tell you, friends, is there will be a day where God comes in and he turns on the lights. And darkness, every bit of darkness, every corner, every piece of brokenness, every pain, every sin, every ounce of shame will be eradicated like that. That's the hope he is inviting us to put our hope in. So here's what it means for us, friends. It's Easter week. What he's called us to do as the church is to be those little lights to go out into the world, to go out into the businesses, to go out into the marketplace, to go out in the school district, to go out in the classroom, to go out in the neighborhoods and the families, to go out all over the place and you bring the light. Because as it spreads, more and more people will see it. More and more people will change. More and more people will experience the goodness and the light that Jesus actually is. And it can change things, not temporarily, but for eternity. That is our invitation today. So just the last question I have, the last invite for you is this. Who are you going to invite to Easter this year? Who needs it? Pray for them. Pray for our world. 
stand in the gap for them, speak up for them, speak to the brokenness and invite them into the future hope and reality that Jesus promises because it could change things forever. So who do you need to invite? I'm right here with you. I'm gonna be grabbing a stack of these for my entire street as we leave. We got eight families that live right next to us. They don't have a relationship with Jesus, but they could change everything. So let's pray together. God, thanks for what you're doing. Thank you for being light. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to see you work, to see you move, to see you speak hope and life and to bring healing and hope and restoration into even the most dark areas of our world. God, the brokenness hurts, the brokenness stings, death, it's just the consequence for our sin, but I thank you that you not only redeemed it, but you promised to restore it. So I pray for boldness for this room. I pray for boldness for those listening and watching online. I I pray for boldness in them that they would represent you well. That this week as they walk out, as they move in darkness, as they move in places of pain and and places of despair, as they pray and intercede for those they'll never meet, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage to carry the gospel as if it's a candle in a dark place. I pray for light, God. Bring the light. Bring the light. I pray for our Easter services coming up. I pray that you would just give the opportunity for people to put their hope and faith and trust in you that you would do something deep within them that leads to a transformed heart and a transformed life that lives for an eternal perspective. God, do something powerful. Send us, send this church to the front lines, to the darkest place, not just in our families, not just in our neighborhoods, but in the world. Send us, God. We love you. We thank you that that's exactly what you did for us on the cross. And because of that, it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray all God's people said together. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.